Hello, and welcome to the Day One Dreams podcast. I'm your host, Patrice Jenkins. This is a place where we roll back success stories to their early days, those first small steps, or what I call the beginning of the beginning. When we can learn how someone got started, we learn how to bridge that gap between where we are and what we want to accomplish. So today we're taking a trip across the pond to Evesham, England to talk to Robbie Swale. Robbie is a life and career coach. He's the author of the 12 minute method series of books, which I believe there's currently three in that series now and another one coming. He has written over 300 blog posts. He hosts two podcasts. I'm finding out how much work it is to host one. He hosts two. He runs a successful business and he does this all in a four day work week. Wow. Welcome, Robbie. Patrice, lovely to be here. Lovely to be here. And I, to say it's, it's fun to be introduced as being from Evesham because we just moved here. So it's a, like a lovely reminder of a quite a stressful and big transition for us that's ongoing. But like, yeah, so that's lovely to be introduced from there. And it's funny to hear all those things. It does sound like a lot, doesn't it? I should say I did some of them, some of the work on some of them while I was still working five days. But it, it is one of the things that I think about now is... Like, as you know, we get here a lot of talk about productivity and I sometimes do, you know, hold, hold, hold events or do talks about productivity. And I always feel a self-doubt when I do that. It's like, what, what, who am I to do that? And then I remember that list of things that you just read out. And but more than that, that working four days, because I work four days so that I can spend a day a week with my daughter, who's two, because wow. that's the kind of father I want to be. That feels really important. That's like a really important ingredient in that, because sometimes the productivity thing means that we lose sight of the other things that don't kind of aren't speech marks productive, but are actually the most important things. We can measure our productivity. It's harder to measure the impact on a two-year-old. There's always opportunity ahead to do some of that productivity. We don't get back those little years. So that's really endearing to hear. But I have to admit, when I read your list, and and one reason I, I don't necessarily ask guests for their version of a bio is I like to see as an outsider what I learn about you by just seeing what's posted, because that's how I form my opinion of you. And I do that with other people too, and especially people that are doing something I want to do. And when I see what I call the Instagram version is when that gap between where I am and what I'd like to accomplish just feels so big that that person definitely has something I don't have as a superpower, as courage beyond anything I could come up with. But when we roll back that story, which is what we do on this show, we can find out what those first steps look like. Back when you were just thinking about starting all this, where were you at that point? And what were those first small steps that started to put all this into motion to where now when we read about this, we're talking three books, 300 blog posts in two podcasts. I always think it's it's funny to try and in a human life to draw start lines because you could roll it back. You can kind of choose the start point, but the start point that feels the, the biggest start point for all that stuff that you just talked about was a kind of messy period in my late twenties where everything had been kind of everything was up for grabs, like a relationship had ended. I was falling out of love with the the kind of first career that I had. I wasn't attached to the place I was living. And so there was this, suddenly this whole like big gulf of stability mm. in my life. And what emerged from that as part of it, the kind of, there were many things, right? The, on, on the kind of work side, what emerged was I wanted to do something to do with people. That was the place that I started from. 
uh, it kind of, I did some analysis. I tried to think about which of the bits of my previous work had I like loved the most or had energized me the most. And even though I didn't do them that well, um, a lot of the time it was all, or I didn't devote much time to them because there, there were speech marks, other more important things to do. Um, again, the, the people things were the things that came up. And that was what started me working as a coach. And then when I was working as a coach, what was interesting was I, I started doing that, I, you know, partly because it, it, I felt like it would meet those needs. It was the kind of, it would, it would get me working with people more. It would get me doing that thing that I really buzzed off when I was a line manager or working with volunteers or supporting student interns or whatever the things in my jobs were that I noticed Do, more of the time. It would get me doing that more of the time. But then what happened was when you're, well, in a way I, I got like, the best advice that anyone who's going to do coaching or really any service business can ever get, I think, which is make sure that you're using the service that you provide. If you're a doctor, but you tell your patients, oh, but by the way, I never go to the doctor. How much are they really going to listen to you and how much credibility do you really have? That doesn't right. happen very often, right? But it happens more often that a, that a coach might not work with a coach or a I don't know. I, I, yeah, we could do other, other examples of that kind right. of thing. I get the coach thing because... People who are good at coaching think I must be good at coaching myself. Right. And and also we we have this often coaches have this really strange idea that coaching is in some way about someone who's speech marks sorted, helping mm -hmm. someone who's not. Anyone who thinks they're sorted is is really just oversimplifying their life because life is a life is a long unsort a human is is too complex to ever be sorted or fixed or perfect. And and so I what happened then for me, the, the thing in some ways that created all of the all of the things that you talked about was came out of that coaching. And I mean, I can go further into that if 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 you like. But what, what yeah, what's what's interesting? Where's interesting to go next? Well, what I like about that is even as you just said, that's where it all started. And then these things came from it. It's like you didn't start out this journey saying, I'm going to have this, 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 and this, this is what my coaching practice is going to look like, or my, my professional work. You had one piece that you could put into motion. And with that, the next thing reveals itself. I was yeah. speaking with a woman um, in an earlier episode who started a, a women's uh, curating a women's apparel and clothing business. And when we first met, she didn't know how to do like anything. And I said, you will figure it out as you need it. And it sounds like the pieces that have been added on are things that have come along because you put something into motion. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I, I love that attitude. And my second podcast is is the 12 Minute Method podcast. And what I do in that, I, I set out this year, I was like, what? Are, so the 12 Minute Method, we might get to it later, is really about how do, how do we stop procrastinating and finally do the things that we've wanted to do for a long time. It, it's your one day dream to day one. And so I, I thought it'd be interesting as a podcast to, for me to think about in my life, all the things that I have, I had at one point wanted to do sometimes for a really long time, not done for a long time, and then finally done. And mm. what it was that helped me finally do them. And interestingly, I had a plan for episode. I was going to try and do them chronologically in my life. So, that, so I, there are episodes about some of the things that you mentioned at the start. But I realized that in a way, the first one, just before I was about to record the first episode, I realized that my career change was in some ways the first one. And the absolute key moment in that when I was super overwhelmed by, even if I'd narrowed it down to something to do with people, like what the heck am I going to do with the rest of my life? And it doesn't feel, it sounds neat when I tell the story in 10 seconds, but but it was a messy, stressful, painful time. Um, the absolute key moment was reading a blog on a, a 
a website called Career Shifters about exactly that, about how do you make it into the smallest next step. You can't know it at the start, but you can have an intuition or a feeling for what might be the first step to try, the first experiment, and make it as low cost, low risk as possible. So I'd learned that in some ways through the career change. And I did start to apply it in my business. I'd kind of, I think I just like, it's a part of my personality that I, the part of me that worries is also the part of me that just doubts things. And I just didn't know. So I didn't, I, I was really aware that I didn't know if I wanted to write a book or have a podcast or any of that stuff or who I would want to work with at the start, especially after that insight from career shifters. So it had to be done by just starting with the thing that I had and, and seeing what happened. And then what I love about the coaching I received and, and much coaching that people receive is that then enabled everything that I did after that to come from a more wholesome, more centered place in me, rather than sometimes where these things come from. And this is a much harder thing to keep going or get off the ground if it, if it comes from, I feel like I should do it because I think this is what people who do things like this do. Right. Yeah, I've ended up doing things that lots of coaches have on their websites, right? Like have a blog and a book, but I didn't do it because I thought that's what coaches did. I did it because in the end, when I really slowed down in different ways, these were the things that were calling me to do that I really wanted to do. So what I hear in that is a sense of curiosity about why something is speaking to you, like not sure where it's going to go, but following that curiosity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And in a way, the 12 minute method, that's where that came from. And it was an unexpected place, like when, because I've, when publishing the books, I've thought about this a lot. And really, the 12 minute method came from wanting to, to change my experience of life. So it tell us come... about the 12 minute method. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right it didn't, here. it didn't come from, like, I think it'd be easy to think about it as, oh, this is how Robbie, so I have, it came from a blog. Um, and, I'll, and I'll tell the story of the blog in a sec, but it, it didn't come from me wanting to have a blog, right? It, the blog emerged because I found it stressful and quite anxiety inducing to share things online. Like when I launched my business, posting on Facebook to say I was doing it, it was like I remember the feeling of hovering over the post mm -hmm. button on Facebook and rewriting and rewriting the post and that kind of thing. It was kind of slightly agonizing. The same with launching and writing my website, the same, let alone with creating something at that point and sharing it. Now, I don't think I'd always been like that. I think when I was a younger, creativity had been a bit different. I've heard other people tell similar creativity stories, being kind of a free uh, creative spirit, and then somehow in adulthood, losing that. But Joel, my coach at the time, and I designed a practice to help me get more used to sharing myself. And the practice was write a short article on my train journey, my daily commute from Southwest London into the center of the city. So the game was going to be right while the train was moving, stop when it stops, proofread it once and then post it on LinkedIn. Facebook was too scary. LinkedIn, I didn't really know if anyone read blogs on LinkedIn and you know the people that were most mattered to me that I was most worried about what they would think weren't on there very much. So LinkedIn felt pretty safe. The assignment, the experiment was do it five times in the next two weeks. Okay, so doable. Doable. And I could write at the bottom of it, this was written as part of a series of written on the train, proofread once and posted online, which got yeah. like some of the anxiety out of it for me, made it a bit safer, but not safe. Like it didn't feel, it wasn't fun. That's what I remember. But, and I didn't get many much response, which in a way was a great result because of what I really didn't want was what I was afraid of, which was people saying, this is terrible. Uh, who are you to write a, an article about this? Whatever it was, all those kinds of fears. I didn't get much response, but it, I, I could kind of feel that it was something good. It was like, hmm. I was onto something. 
And I made it into a weekly practice after that until Christmas. So this was summertime. Then at Christmas, I decided to keep it going. And I've now been writing. Yeah, I've been writing uh, an article a week in that way for like six and a six years, four months, something wow. like that now. So it's not all of those 300 blog posts that you mentioned, but it's something like 280 of them or 270 of them, something like that now. Yeah, at some, the 12, just to tie up the 12 minute method thing, I always have to remember to do that. At some point I stopped getting the train as much. And so I checked how long the train journey was and it turned out it was 12 minutes. And so these days what I do is I set a timer for 12 minutes, write while the time is going, stop when it stops, proofread it once, post it online. And, and that um, feels like everyone has 12 minutes. It also keeps you from having to get to that level of perfection. It's like, right. this is when you ship. But both those two things are really were really, really key for my um, for why this has been so impactful for me. So 12 minutes and really important, it was 12 minutes a week because sometimes people mishear it as 12 minutes a day. I think if, if I tried for one of these every day, I would have fallen off that wagon. That would have been too much. And that sounds crazy, right? Because everyone has 12 minutes a day, really, in truth. But in a busy life, it's actually quite, you know, there are days when something happens, right. someone, you get ill, someone gets ill, the weather is crazy, you get held up on in something, you know, there's all these reasons. But over a week, really anyone, no matter how difficult their work life or family situation is, can find 12 minutes in a week. So that, that's really important. And you're absolutely right. What I was really practicing, like I was accidentally, we should say, practicing writing and thinking and having ideas and all these things. What I was really practicing is letting go of the perfectionism, getting used to everything that we ever ship, share, launch, publish is imperfect. There's a lovely quote in the, the fourth 12-minute method book is about to come out. And it's a quote in the front from a, a French Frenchman called Paul Valéry. And he says something like, to the one who seeks perfection, a poem is never finished. It is only abandoned. And uh... that's true of pretty much everything that we make. So we have to be able, if we want to have an impact and share our work, we have to get used to the idea that it, it will not be perfect when it's shared. And that was really what I was practicing that whole time. 12 minutes is enough time to write something, to write something, not something perfect, not even something good, but to write something. Let's practice writing something and then sharing it. Um, right. And then over time, what I wanted did come true. I would say some of it happened quickly, but, 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 but by about three years in, there was pretty much nothing at that point that I wouldn't be able to, wouldn't feel comfortable to write about and share about without that agonizing, shall I post this? There were still some things that I was, I was built, like I built up gradually. Obviously I didn't write the, the first ones were safer. And then they, I wrote some things that felt more vulnerable or I felt more of an imposter to write an article about them. And gradually I learned like, I'm not an imposter to write about these things in 12 minutes because I know something about them. And who knows if that's useful to somebody else. I like to see the progression of that over, you said by three years, you were able to do that. You didn't expect yourself to do at the very beginning what you could do at three years. We need to give ourselves permission to just jump on at the level at which it feels comfortable enough. And anything's going to feel a little uncomfortable if we start to put something into motion. But don't ask so much of ourselves that we can't take that first couple of steps, whatever yeah. that might look like. Yeah, and the um, you know the uh, the little disclaimer at the bottom of my articles, which is still there, which says um, this was written in twelve minutes, and that was really important for that. And in the research, um, they call it self-efficacy when they research on on goal setting and and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and you have to be careful with the goal setting because you want to increase your self-efficacy, which just means how effective you are or your confidence. Okay. So if I want to increase my how effective I am at sharing in this way. We have to be really careful with the goals we set. Because if we set a big one, which I then, if I think I can't share things, 
because I'll get laughed at or I'm just not able to write about this thing. And we set me the target of in 12 minutes writing a summary of Einstein's theory of relativity. Like it's going to be a truly awful thing because I know almost nothing about theoretical <laughs> physics, uh, let alone Einstein. You know, then someone who reads that might say, what is this nonsense? So that would be the wrong place to start. A better place to start would be somewhere much closer, like not something easy, something that's a stretch. And if you're doing something new, it will be a stretch. Yeah, something that's closer. And then to gradually build that up. And, and the practice really allowed me to do that. It's and, like a and, muscle. You don't go to the gym and put, you know, the leg press on 300 the first day. Not, not unless you want to get injured or not be able to move it at all, right? And then right. give up on going to the gym forever. Exactly. The books that you write are very similar to the kind of stuff I, I love to think about, I love to write about, I love to talk about. And that's that, you know, just getting how to get started, how to uh, keep from quitting. So a couple of things, maybe we'll get into specifics on those books, but I also am curious about in your coaching, what do you see that holds people back from starting? You've written books on this, you coach people. Is there something that in particular you see holds people back and what do you suggest to help them get over that? I mean, in some ways, even writing books about this, you know, some of my self-doubt was, is it possible to definitively answer that kind of question? And that's part of the reason that the book, is, the books are, well, I can tell why the books are like that in some ways, but, but why I'm glad the books are a real collection of ideas. So it's not, they're not, they're mostly not a this is a step-by-step -step way to, to get started. It's a, here are a bunch of ideas, 30 or 40 in each book that might be the one that just sparks you to move because it's different for everybody. But there are some common ones. I think a common one is there's like a feeling of, um, so it's a bit like what you said about the Instagram version, right? We compare what's going on for us on the inside with what's happening for other people on their Instagram versions. And what that makes it look like is, and this used to be me, right? I used to think that all the stories I told myself in my head, all the thoughts I had were in some way related to whether I should do a task. So if I thought, who am I to be a writer and found it super anxious to post an article online, that was probably a sign I wasn't meant to write things because there are plenty of writers out there and they don't. that doesn't seem to be happening to them. It was a huge big deal for me, hugely big deal to read books like uh, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield or Big Magic by Liz Gilbert, where you get people writing about their actual experience as a creator and how it turns out, maybe not everyone, but at least people like them who are very successful in their own right as, as novelists and uh, authors, and, and they tell stories about other people um, struggling in similar ways. There's some great stories in Big Magic about Brene Brown. If they feel like that, then suddenly this story that I've got that just because I feel weird when I'm doing this means I shouldn't do it, I can let go of. I think another common one is a confidence story. So I was really, um, it, it's in, I think it's in, it's in How to Start When You're Stuck. Is this, but my, my old coach, Rich Litvin, puts it best. He says, we, we, treat, uh, we treat coaching, uh, we treat confidence as a requirement for action. But that's a real problem because confidence only comes as a result of doing action. It always comes after. So people wait for confidence. They wait to feel ready, all, all these things. But on a, on a deeper level, it's very scary to put yourself out there. I had somebody on my, I think, who was it? It might've been a woman called Jennifer Garvey Berger, I heard say, you know, it makes real sense uh, that we're scared of these things because it, it used to be life and death, right? Whether we were, we, if we were judged by the people around us. Evolutionarily, it makes sense to be afraid of judgment from other people, but we're getting a bit short-circuited by that because it's, right. you know, judgment from a few people on the internet will not affect our ability to eat, uh, sleep, 
be safe in the way that judgment from, you know, the, the 50 people that we walked around a plane or our ancestors walked around a, a savannah with millennia ago would have affected our safety, but we still treat it like it would. So it's scary, but it's scary because making something is vulnerable. That fear can be very pervasive. Uh, it, it's taken a, a whole load of things for me to think about this. But one of the ways that I, one of the things I remind myself of when I'm afraid is that courage almost by definition is just acting in the face of fear. And courage is one of the things I admire in people more than anything, you know, I value that I would want to hold. So it's actually, you need the fear in order to be able to show that mm -hmm. one of the most admirable human qualities. I've decided to make courage one of my core values. So yeah. when it's a core value, then there needs to be uh, evidence of it in my life. Right. And so when I face something difficult, I'm like, you know, just as be impressive for your two-year-old daughter, you're, it's evident as far as the level of that, um, where you place that value in your life, people should be able to look at my life and say, wow, she must value courage. So it helps me in those moments. Like this is an opportunity to, to demonstrate what I say, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, beautifully put. And, you know, obviously, well, to me, you're someone who has created books, given talks, created a podcast, done all this work. You can't do that unless you, and <laughs> Well, I, I've spoken, spent time, I was going to say, unless you're completely disconnected from emotions, I don't think you could do that without acting in the face of fear, without showing yeah. courage. And in terms of people saying anything negative about or whatever, I've learned to just say, it's not for you, at least, or at least in my own mind, it's not for you. I don't necessarily tell them that to their face, but yeah. uh, our work, my work is, isn't for everyone. I think that's a really like, that's another thing that it's taken me, it took me at least several years to mostly embed but I still don't like it like I, I don't I think it's probably worth saying as well if we're thinking about the what the real truth of it I don't like it when someone doesn't like something that I've made it's not like fun or nice <laughs> but but on some level I'm able to kind of remember there are more important things than fun and nice again if we think about the history of humanity at many points, almost the whole of human history, we could have pleased, it would have been literally possible to please pretty much everyone who came into contact with us, because we would come into contact with at most hundreds of people over the course of a year. Uh, now, by posting something on most people's LinkedIn, they're coming into contact potentially with hundreds of people, right. let alone if you put it in lots of places and, and uh, that kind of thing. And once you've opened it up that wide, it's just not literally not possible to please everybody. And I think maybe a little bit of it is I'm twice your age. So perhaps a little bit of... Um... Maybe I'll get there. That, that, <laughs> that fills me with, uh, that fills, fills me with hope, yeah, Patrice, for sure. Um, one thing in your book, How to Start When You're Stuck, you talk about telling people, stop being a wannabe. And when I hear a wannabe, it reminds me of the concept that, uh, that I like. And it's, I can't stand to have the same conversation about dreams and goals over and over again. Sometimes it's, one year, three years, 15 years later, we're talking about the same thing. And in fact, it's one reason I got this podcast up and running because I was on a podcast when the host asked me, so what's next for Day One Dreams and Patrice? And I said, well, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. And I thought, if a year from now he calls me up and asks, how's that podcast coming? I, I need to have a podcast going. So that stop being a wannabe. What do you have to say about that? Well, it was one of the things when I thought about the 12 minute method and what it could mean for other people. I thought about people I know who have been like that as well with the same dream regularly for a long time. And I know what it's like been like for me when I've been that wannabe 
And I mostly, because I'm kind of on some levels quite shy, although that will be strange to some people to hear. Like I mostly keep that stuff to myself. Like I don't tend to talk to people about that mm. stuff, but it's still there inside me going round and round often for a long time. And what I've discovered is that I think of that as something like uh, creative hell, because that's what it feels like to me often. If it doesn't bother you to say over and over again that you want to leave your work and start your own business, if it really doesn't bother you on any level, like perfect, I don't mind that. But if it, if underneath you're in that creative hell, then that's a different story. And those are really the people who, what I would say to is like, it's the first part of how to start when you're stuck is, well, look, at least let's start, like only start. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about how you'll get your business to, to turning over, you know, a million dollars a year or whatever it is you want to get to in the end. But let's at least, going back to what we said near the start of the conversation, let's at least start somehow this week. And I've seen it, like one of my most meaningful things that's happened to me with my writing is I wrote a, an article about Stephen Pressfield's concept resistance. Mm -hmm. And one of my oldest friends read it and like he'd put his website for his business up within a, a few days. And, and he, he then left his job. Now he did meaningful work for a, a local um, a local authority, a local municipal, municipality in, in Northwest of England. But but the impact he has in his business now doing similar things to do with health and well-being is just so much bigger. And he's so much happier. And I, I don't know, because I don't look in his accounts, but I imagine he makes more money and mm -hmm. therefore his family has more and all these things that matter to him happen. So it's like, that's what's possible. But at the very least, what's possible is to get out of that creative hell, to do something courageous and then have what happens as a result of doing something courageous, which is you grow as a person, you feel different about yourself. And that's quite something. And that's all possible regardless of whether the business or the thing that you want to do and have been a wannabe for a long time, regardless of the success of that, the change in you is a success that is completely within your control if, if we just take the courageous steps. That's exactly right. It's um, it's what I talk about. Like, let's find out how it worked out. Yeah. Because if we just get yeah. started, like even when I started writing my recent book, It's Still Good, Dreams Don't Have Expiration Dates, I had been thinking about that for a long time. And I got to the point, I was just, I, I was curious what I had to say. So I just opened a Word document and started and I accepted that maybe I'll only have a couple pages to say on this and that's, I'll find that out and I'll be done. But if we don't start moving in that direction, we build up a big fantasy about how good we would have been. You yeah. talk about that creative hell of yeah, just, yeah. we end up regretting a an untrue version, possibly. It's better to find out how it worked out, I think. Yeah, it was the regret that when you said that, it was the regret piece that came into my mind. Like the might have been, the what might have been, right? We Most exactly. of us don't want that. That's, you know, for me, in some ways, that's where the day with, with my daughter comes from. It's, you know, it's like, what might I be sad about at the end of my life? Well... Right. Yeah, if I'd missed out on on these times. And I should say that the days with my daughter, I mean, they're a bit different now she's two, but when she was littler and still now sometimes are like much harder days than my days at work. They're not all fun. Um, I know, I was a stay-at-home mom for 12 years. Right, there you go. You definitely know it. Um, but uh, they're still meaningful. Yes. Um, very meaningful. So yeah, I think that what might have been, and I love that, I love that um, 
dreams don't have expiration dates, right? There's a piece in, in How to Start When You're Stuck. I learned it from Seth Godin, who I know you, whose work you, you love as well. Um, he said, there's a Chinese proverb, the best time to plant an apple tree was 20 years ago. And the second best time is now. And I love right. dreams don't have expiration dates because it's that same feeling, right? We can feel like, the you know, oh, I should have written the book 20 years ago. And, and yes, it might have been better if you've done that, but you can't do that now. So do you want to do it or let it go? my feeling is that's a much more healthy thing and and most people at that stage will say actually i want to do it because if you've had something hanging around for that long there's a journey to go on with it right and and, and a really a really short story i for a long time i had a lot of kind of wannabe stuff about music and i thought that i knew where that would end i thought it would end when i'd finally recorded some songs or written some more songs that i was really proud of but it ended it felt complete after on our wedding day i played two songs on this little stage in front of the hundred most important people in my life and then it was just done like that was what it was for all the practicing all the agonizing it was like it was for that moment really and there were a couple of other things before that that maybe it wouldn't have been completed if they hadn't been done but after that that wannabe piece for me for me with music has has just gone so it it won't necessarily end like we'll find out where it ends right it won't necessarily end where we think but that again that won't make it less necessarily less meaningful you have you have your story Right. It's complete. Yeah. It felt complete at that point. Exactly. Yes, I love that. In a couple of minutes we have left, I always like to end an episode with this question. What if you never started? I mean, it's, yeah, great question. I think that the the 12 minute piece is interesting because as I've been this year, as I've been publishing the books and, and like you say, yeah, there are three out, fourth, fourth, fourth to come any day as we're having this conversation. One of the things I've realized is just how much it has changed me to have a habit like this over a period like this. And things that it has changed are how I think, how I write, how I speak, um, how I have ideas, as I mentioned before. But also, like, I know something about myself now. I know that I can can put my mind to something and keep going with it for six years and more. And by the time you've done it for six years, really, I know that I could do it forever if I want to. It'll only be by choice at this point that I stop. The empowering nature of that is quite something and again I only realized that really when I was releasing how to keep going when you want to give up so it's like before all this I was kind of more envious of other people less fulfilled more exhausted less dynamic and less proud of who I am and so I'm really glad that I started I just think that's a good question for us to look back on because we it, it helps to see how much starting has created what we currently our current reality well, we have about a minute. Would you just tell people how they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm at robbyswale.com and you can find links to all my stuff there, although it's a quite old website now. So um, it's a little bit higgledy-piggledy, but you can also find the books on Amazon and on um, other booksellers. I mean, if you're in the US, you, they're on. I think they're on Barnes & Noble website. If you're in the UK or somewhere like that, they're on Waterstones, places like that. And the podcasts are in all the places. There's two, the 12-minute method, like I said, and the Coach's Journey, which is a podcast for coaches. Yeah. And the blog is now all on my website as well. Awesome. And I did some fishing around on there and I found some poetry as well. Yeah. And one, uh, I was thinking I'd written it down here. I just loved it about the boat at the shore. Yeah. It's called waiting for God's wind. If people want to look that up on the website and it it remains one of the things, thank you for finding that and noticing Mm. it because that's one of the things I just think it's one of the best things I've ever made. Yeah, I, I part of my work is with retirees and boy, that just described, you know, their boat is sitting there and um, what's next that waiting is hard. 
So that was, that was beautifully done. Thank you so much for being with me today. One of the pleasures of doing this podcast is meeting really interesting people. And I'm so glad that our paths crossed and I had a chance to, to have this conversation. Thank you, Robbie. Yeah, thank you. I feel exactly the same.